Church, today I want to talk to you about two words that can change your life. If spoken often and with sincerity, these words can impact your world in amazing ways. They can adjust your attitude, turn a pessimist into an optimist, and even revolutionize your relationships. If you want more joy, more peace, more hope, more contentment, these are the words you need to know. So here they are. Write them down. Don't forget them. I'm giving them to you at no charge, but they are worth a fortune. So are you ready for these two words that can do so much? Nod your head if you are. Here they are. Thank you. Two words that can change your life. Now, if you think that I'm overstating the case that these words can actually change your life, consider this. The world's unhappiest people are proud, self-centered, and ungrateful. And what they need to turn their life around is not a new car, a new house, or a new job. They need a new perspective and ultimately a new heart. Now, who can tell me the title of today's message? Have you looked at that? What is it? Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, who made that phrase famous? Elvis. And Elvis is often called the what? The king. Now, this morning... I want to point out that our model of gratitude, in fact, our source of gratitude is another king, and he is the king, the true king, and his name is Jesus. Now, today we're continuing this series on the life of Noah, and today we're going to see that Noah was a man who says thank you to God. And we're also going to see how learning to be grateful in all kinds of circumstances can dramatically change our lives. Now, we began this series with a very important question, which was this, is the story true? And of course, that's important. And I give you my short answer. I believe that the story of Noah and the ark and the animals is true for a number of reasons. Number one, because there is compelling scientific evidence that the story is true. Another reason is because there are all these flood stories from ancient cultures, over 200 flood narratives. And those narratives and the events that we see in the book of Genesis have incredible similarity. And of course, the scientific evidence also corroborates the story that we read in the Bible. And there's another reason, a really important reason that I believe the story of Noah is true, and that's because Jesus believed that it was true. And we saw that in the book of Matthew. Now, if we conclude that the story actually took place, there's another important question that flows from that. Well, so what? How does this ancient story make any difference in our lives, in our family, in our future? What difference does it make? And here's the short answer, everything. And here's why. Because this story shows us God's primary purpose for our life. And that purpose is this, to please God. That means that your most important task, your most important goal, is to figure out how to live a life that pleases God. And that's exactly what this story shows us how to do. So take a look at the big question again, and this is for our whole series. It's on your outline. What can we learn from the story of Noah that will enable us to please God and bring joy to his heart? And this is what we're going to focus on today. God is pleased when we thank him continually. When we thank him, not just once in a while, not just once a year, but when we thank him continually. Now, if you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Genesis chapter 8. That's where we're going to pick the story up. And at this point in the story, Noah, his family, the animals have all survived this incredible flood. And after many, many days, they have finally left the ark. Now, I want you to put yourself in Noah's place for just a minute. How would you feel 
if you've been cooped up on this ark for all this time and you finally got to leave the ark and go outside? How do you think Noah was feeling? He's probably tired because it had been a really long journey. Probably, what do you think, a little uh, relieved that he got off the ark? And most of all, I think he was thankful. So how does Noah <coughs> express his thanks to God? Well, this is what it says in verse 20 of chapter 8. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And notice God's reaction. The Lord was what? He was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. Noah is so grateful that he and his family have been rescued. And so when he offers this, this sacrifice to God, God is pleased. Now, what do you think happens when we tell God thank you? How does God feel? Yeah, he's pleased. It brings joy to his heart. Now, I'd like to do this. I'd like to make some observations about gratitude from this story and from other places in the Bible as well. And this is the first thing that I want us to see. God wants gratitude to be a way of life. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, God wants gratitude to be a way of life for you and for me. Here's another story. Two men were walking through a field one day when they spotted an enraged bull. Instantly, they darted toward the nearest fence. The storming bull followed in hot pursuit, and it was soon apparent that they would not make it. Terrified, one shouted to the other, Hey, John, pray! John replied, I can't, I can't. I've never prayed in public before. But John, you have to pray, his friend replied. The bull's catching up to us. Okay, panted John. I'll say the only prayer I know, the one my dad used to say around the dinner table. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> now, what is the opposite? What is the opposite of giving thanks? Complaining. Complaining. Now, what are, the, what are some of the things that, that people um, tend to complain about? Not any of you, of course, just people that you know. What are some things that, that people you know complain about? What are some categories? Okay, money, work, food, family, all kinds of things, right? Now, this morning, I was actually debating if I was going to show you this, this video because we saw it last Thanksgiving, and it's about how to curb complaining, but it is such an important video. We probably should watch it at least once a month, but let's take a look. Complaint zapper. Zap away your negativity. Okay. Do not use if you are pregnant, have a heart condition, or wear braces. Guess I'm good to go. To test, hold in front and say something negative. Easy enough. Um, boy, this weather really stinks. Yikes. <sighs> Whatever it takes. <clears throat> I'm very comfortable. <coughs> Turn down the intensity a little bit. Let's give this thing a test run. Man, it is freezing out today. <coughs> 
stating a fact. I was stating a fact. <sighs> Boy, this coffee is terrible. <laughs> Don't freeze up on me now, you lousy. What is this? A stain? I can't keep one single thing. <laughs> I know what you mean. That's just how he is, though. He's like, woe is me, my life is so terrible. <laughs> you gotta be kidding. This is unbelievable. I can't even get it. <laughs> it's green. Come on, lady, will you move? <laughs> Yes, hello, is this the Complaint Zapper Complaint Center? Yes, I have a... I have a suggestion. I think your Complaint Zapper is far too sensitive. As a matter of fact, I think it's a piece of junk and I want my full... That's it, you're coming off. I'm done with you. this thing on for the rest of my stinking Would you do this? Take a look at the verse card inside your, your bulletin this morning. It's our verse of the week. It says this, give thanks in how many circumstances? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we're going to be talking about how to do that. Now, here's the second observation this morning about being thankful. And it's simply this. We can easily forget to thank God. It's easy to forget to express our thanks to God. In the Old Testament, we read about God doing amazing things for his people. He sets them free from slavery in Egypt. He leads them through the desert. He's going to lead them into the promised land. And just before they get to the promised land, Moses, their leader, calls them together and gives them really a stern warning. And he talks about not forgetting God. And he says this, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, talking about what life is going to be like in the promised land, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And in that passage in Deuteronomy 8, Moses goes on and he says, look, when you build these really fine houses and when you settle down and your flocks and herds increase, don't be filled with pride and don't forget to thank God for all he's done for you and for all he's given you. Now, what does that mean for us? Really the same thing. Because when life is really going well, people often have the tendency to forget to thank God. And sometimes we think this way. We think, hey, look, what I've done, what I've accomplished is because of my skill, because of my smarts, because of my money, because of my hard work. But let me ask you this. What do you have that hasn't come from God? I mean, think about that. Um, how many of you have any skills? We all have skills. Where did those skills come from? It came from God. Um, if you think you're smart this morning, where did your intelligence come from? came from God. And if you can work hard, who gave you the health and the strength to work hard? God did. Everything we have 
Everything we are is really a gift from God. So what should be our response? We should say, what two words to God? Thank you, God. And we should do that continually. And here's why. Because we live in a world that is filled with people who never thank God at all. And this is really nothing new. If you look at these verses, this is from Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul points this out. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. How many of you know how many nations there are in the world today? Just approximately. There are over 200, 206 nations. And do you know how many of those nations have a national day of giving thanks? Seven, including the U.S. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to wait until the fourth Thursday of November to give thanks. Giving thanks should be a way of life for God's people. And that brings us to some observations about what we should be thankful for. Look at this next statement on your outline. Number three, we should thank God for his goodness, his love, and his faithfulness. We should thank God for his goodness, his love, and his faithfulness. And this comes directly from Scripture, from Psalm 100, where the psalmist says this, Enter his gates, enter God's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? And here are some reasons. For the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues how long? Through all generations. When I was 12 years old, there was this really cute girl with brown hair. And I wanted to get to know her, so I decided that I would walk home from school with her and we could talk. And we did that and we talked and we talked and we ended up going to the same youth group at church when we were 12 and we would walk home and we would talk and we would talk. It's sort of like a scene out of Forrest Gump, you know, with Forrest and Jenny, um, like peas and carrots. We just talked and talked and the more we talked, the more I realized that I, I really liked this cute girl with brown hair and the more I liked her, the more I realized that I, I loved her. Now, if you think back to the first time you ever said those three words, I love you to somebody, you know how anxious that can make you feel. Why? Because you're not sure the other person is going to say those words back to you. And so when you're in a situation like that, like I was, you do the only smart thing. You send out spies. So I got my friends to ask this cute girl with the brown hair, hey, do you think you like Dudley? And of course, they came back with some actionable intelligence. And so I decided now's the time, and I still remember that day, I had worked at my courage, and I was going to say those three words that would change everything forever, and my heart was beating really hard, and my palms were sweaty, and I still remember looking at her and saying, um, I love you, and waiting for the response, and waiting, <laughs> and she said, I love you too. And I still remember that moment. And church, the reason I tell you that story is this. When it comes to your relationship with God, who said I love you first? God did. The scripture says that we love because he first loved us. And this love that God has for you, how long does it last? Forever. Because he loved you before you were born. Realize that? Before the foundation of the world, he loved you. He loves you still. In fact, and this is not a cliche, this is the truth, when you're a child of God, there's nothing you can do that will make God love you anymore. 
And there's nothing you can do that will make him love you any less than he does right now. And that's something we can really be thankful for. I remember when I was in uh, Colombia, South America, talking with a group of pastors and their wives, and, and you know that these are people that have gone through incredible suffering and persecution. And I wanted to encourage them with this thought that God loves them with an everlasting love. No matter what happens, no matter how hard their life might be, God's never going to leave them or forsake them. And I, I thought, well, you know, I really can't say it better than Scripture. So I learned this passage in Spanish from Romans chapter 8. And I remember I was doing this teaching time, and, and I close with these words from the book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul asked a question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul goes on to say, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, isn't that an amazing thought? And for that, we should say what to God? Thank you, God, that you love me that way. So we can thank God that he is good. We can thank God that his love endures forever. And there's something else in that passage that we can thank God for, that his faithfulness continues to all generations. Now, think about the story of Noah and the flood. After the flood was over, God made a promise to Noah, and he said, Noah, I am never going to destroy the whole earth again with the flood, and I'm going to give you a sign to prove that I'm serious, that I'm going to keep the promise. What was that sign? Yes, exactly. It was a rainbow. Now, every time we see a rainbow, I want to encourage you to think of the biblical significance of a rainbow. And here's what I mean. A rainbow reminds us that God is just. Because when you disobey God, there are serious consequences because he is a holy God of great justice. So the rainbow reminds us of God's justice. It also reminds us of God's mercy. Because God saves Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. That's a display of God's mercy. In fact, we sang a song earlier this morning and it's from the book of Revelation. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, has this vision of heaven and it says that there was a door and he looks through the door and he sees God's throne and encircling the throne is a what? A rainbow. Because the throne of God is a throne of justice and a throne of mercy. And here's another really intriguing fact of history. In the ancient Near East, this area where Noah lived, kings would display their, their power and their authority by putting symbols of their bows up in public places for people to see them. God put his bow in the sky. Now think about this. If that were an actual bow and you were shooting an arrow, in which direction would the arrows go? Well, they wouldn't go down toward the earth, right? They would go away from the earth. And I believe this was a way of God expressing that this is a sign of my grace to people. And so when you see a rainbow, think of God's justice, think of God's mercy, and think of God's grace to you and say, thank you. Now, here is another observation about being thankful. We should thank God for the people that he's put in our lives. 
The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament and over and over again, he expresses thanks for the people that God's put in his life. Let me show you just a couple of examples. This first verse is from the book of Philippians and Paul says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And then this is a verse that he wrote to the believers in Corinth. He says, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts that he's given you now that you belong to Jesus Christ. Now, I have a question for those of you who are married. And here's the question. Who has God used more than any other person to shape your life and your character? Who has God used more than any other person to shape your life and your character? Now, you know, often when I ask you a question and I say, if you're not sure, the answer is Jesus. But other than Jesus, what person has God used to shape your heart and your character more than anybody else? I think most of us would say what? Our spouse. Exactly. I would say that. Because God has used my wife, Chris, more than any other person to shape my life and my character. And, and here's what we need to do. We need to be thankful for our husbands and our wives. And we need to tell them, hey, I thank God for you. Now, we need to expand that circle as well because we can thank God for our families. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have a difficult person in your family? Anybody? Am I the only one? <laughs> we probably all have people that, you know, God uses to develop our character, right, in our families. And do you know you can say thank you, God, for the people in your family that God is using to shape you? And think about this. Think about the people in your church family. Now, here is really an amazing thought. Do you realize that you can't accomplish God's purpose for your life without the people in your church family? If you're a Christian... You're part of the body of Christ. And the fact is that we need each other. In church, I know this. I cannot accomplish my, my life's purpose without you. I can't do it. Because here's the reality. And the Bible points this out. We reach out better together. That's one of God's purposes for our life. To connect with other people. We worship better together. We learn about God better together. We serve other people better. How? Together, together we carry out God's purpose for our lives. And for that, we can say two words. And what are they? Thank you, God. Now, here's another observation about the importance of being thankful. And this applies to us collectively, to us as a church family. A grateful church is a generous church. A grateful church is a generous church. Look at these verses from 2 Corinthians. It says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then... You will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And church, let me say this. I am so thankful that BBCC is a generous church and that over and over again, you demonstrate compassion meeting the needs of other people. And notice what Paul says. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Now, there is a connection between thanks and giving. They actually go together. Pastor... Randy Alcorn said this one time. He was talking about God's grace in our giving. And he said, it's like thunder and lightning. Now, when it lightnings, what do you expect to hear? Thunder. Natural response. And he says that the lightning is God's grace and the thunder is our giving. One naturally flows from the other. And when it comes to giving, consider this, that there are really three aspects of our giving to God. Past, present, and future. And here's what I mean. When we are grateful to God, it should be because of what God has done in the past. Now think about this. What has God done for you as a believer in the past? And I would hope the first thing that comes to mind is this. He's forgiven me. 
God has settled my past. Jesus paid for everything wrong I've ever done or ever will do. Now, how should that make you feel? Grateful. And that's why the Bible says that God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. The Bible says, hey, look, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give because some pastor is trying to make you feel like you have to do it. It shouldn't be an obligation. It should be a privilege that comes from a joyful heart. And that's just looking at the past. Now, think about the present right now. What does that have to do with how we give? Well, how we give reflects our present priorities. Because if you really want to know what's important to somebody, you can look at how they spend their time, how they use their talents, how they invest the money that God's given to them. And here's the deal. When we give to God first, instead of just giving God what's left over, it shows that he has first place in our lives. And God is pleased by that. And then there's also this future component of giving. When we give today, it proves that we trust God for tomorrow. It proves that we're saying, God, you know what? I believe that you're going to provide everything necessary to accomplish your purpose for me and my life. I remember, and I was sharing this at first service, sitting where you are one time, and I heard this pastor preaching on giving. And, and honestly, I was getting a little uncomfortable. And, and I was listening, and he said this. He said, if you're willing to trust God with your eternal destiny, then don't you think you can trust him enough to tithe? Now, you guys know what tithing is, right? It's giving God 10% of your income. And I remember hearing those words and thinking, well, you know, that makes a lot of sense because I do trust God for my destiny. I do trust him for tomorrow. And so it does make sense that I would prove that by doing what he's really asked me and even commanded me to do in Scripture. And I remember talking with my wife about that, and we made that decision years ago that we were going to start tithing. And over that time, I have just seen God be faithful again and again and again. And church, that's why when I talk about giving, man, I don't feel uncomfortable at all. Because here's the deal. It's not really about what I want from you. It's what I want for you. And I want you to just experience this joy of giving. I want you to, to just experience the fact that when you give to God, he's going to give back to you. In fact, did you know that you can't outgive God? I've tried. It doesn't work. He is a generous God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And that's one way that we say thank you, thank you to God. And that brings us to another observation about being thankful. This is number six. A grateful church is a missional church. Grateful church is a missional church. How many of you have ever been on one of these? What is that? What is that, church? That's a cruise ship. Now, what are people focused on when they are on a cruise ship? What's their goal? To have fun, to be happy. Don't worry, be happy. In fact, I saw that in an ad for a cruise ship line this week. And, and when people are on a cruise ship, who are they focused on? Who are they focused on? On themselves. We all know this, right? Now, here is a dramatic transition. Are you ready? A different kind of ship. What kind of ship is this? That's a battleship. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about the mindset of somebody on a cruise ship and the mindset of somebody on a battleship. Are they the same? They're absolutely different, aren't they? Now, a person on a battleship realizes that they're in a what? Battle. They're in a war. And so the mission is really important. They know that they serve on a crew, and they find their place on the crew, 
And the mission is really important. In fact, the mission is so important that they will risk their lives to accomplish the mission. You could say that the church is like a ship. And when you decide to come on board this ship, you need to know this. It's not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. A battleship on a mission to search and to rescue people who are far from God. And that's exactly what Jesus said. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross and he's talking to his father and he says, Father, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. And what is our mission? To tell people who are far from God how they can find their way home, how they can be rescued. Because you know what? If you're a Christian this morning, you have been rescued by God. And the natural response when you have been rescued is to care about other people who need to be rescued. And that's why Jesus has given us this mission. Because church, here's the deal. We have a story to tell. And it's a story of redemption. It's a story in this book. And you've heard me say this before, that you'll never understand your story until you understand how your story fits into God's story. And that's true of every single person that God has put in our lives. And that's why we have this privilege of telling people the bad news and the good news. And what's the bad news? Well, we've all wandered away from God away from his purpose and his plan for our lives. The Bible calls that sin. And because of our sin, we're separated from God because God is holy and just. He can't just look the other way. He's got to punish every sin we've ever committed and that just punishment is to die and to be separated from God for how long? For eternity, forever. That's about as bad as it gets. And then there is this, this beautiful news. It's called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That there is a God who loves you and doesn't want you to spend eternity apart from Him. And He's made a way for your relationship to be reconciled. What He did was He sent His Son. God exists as one God but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus does something no man had ever done before. He lives a perfect life. And that qualifies Him to offer Himself in our place as our substitute. And that's exactly what happens on the cross. God's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish Jesus in our place and this, this anger and wrath of God against our sin is poured out on Christ and Jesus is crushed. His heart explodes on the cross because of the weight of our sin and he dies the death that we deserved and then he's buried but three days later the story continues. God raises him to life and Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. Because I want you to have a new life. I want you to understand that your past can be settled, that your future can be assured, that I can give you the strength you need for every challenge in your life today. And friends, that's a story that we have to tell. That an entirely different kind of life is possible when you embrace Jesus as your Savior and your King and your Lord. Now let me ask you this. If you discovered the cure for cancer, would you keep it a secret? Or would you tell everybody who would listen? Church, the message that we have is even more urgent than a cure for cancer. It's a cure for sin. It's a cure for death. This is an, a, an amazing, transforming message of the gospel. And God, through Christ, has entrusted it to us. So, what does that mean? Well, week after week, when you write down prayer requests, I, I pray for, for those requests. A number of people in our church pray for those prayer requests. And every week I notice that you have people in your family 
people that are friends, people that are coworkers, and you say, pray that they'll come to know Jesus Christ. I know that's true for many of us. So what is it, church, that will really enable us to get serious about reaching our friends and our neighbors and our families with the message of the gospel? And I think it's simply this, being intentional, making the choice to really care about the people that God's placed in our life. So I want to encourage you to do this. This is something that I've been doing for years. Take a three-by-five card and write the names of the people that you want to make a decision to follow Christ. And you can keep that in your purse, in your wallet, put it on your dashboard, put it on your iPhone, put it someplace where you will see that on a regular basis, preferably every day. And you can say, God, please, would you open this person's eyes, open their heart to see the truth so that they will make a choice to follow Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, I got people on my list that have been there for decades. I'm still praying in faith that God will change their heart and draw them to himself. And I want to encourage you to do that because it changes everything when you're praying for people on a regular basis. And when you pray, um, Chris and I right now have um, a couple right across the street from us. And uh, we met them. And I have their names on my bulletin board in my office. And I'm praying every day for them. But I have to do more than pray, don't I? I have to develop a relationship with them and get to know them and listen to their story. And we're in the process of doing that. And my intention is to be able to tell them our story because our story is a God story and what God's done for us. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Pray for an opportunity to share your story with others. And also, church, I want to encourage you to do this. Learn how to tell people the bad news and the good news. And that's one of the reasons that we talk about it here all the time. I want to equip you to be able to tell God's story to the people that God's placed in your life. And here's what will happen. When you see people get on the boat, when you see people make a decision to follow Jesus, your heart will be filled with what? Joy. Incredible joy. And that's the last thing that I want you to see this morning, that a grateful church is a joyful church. A grateful church is a joyful church. One time this little girl was attending her first wedding with her mom. And during the ceremony, she leaned over and said, hey, mommy, mommy, why is the lady wearing a white dress? And her mom said, well, honey, white is the color of joy, and this is the most joyful day of her life. And the little girl thought for a moment, and then she said, mommy, mommy, why is the man dressed in black? (laughs) God designed marriage to be an incredible source of joy. And think about this, the relationship that Jesus has with his church is described as a marriage. Jesus is a bridegroom, and the church is his what? His bride. And Jesus wants us to have great joy in our relationship with him. In fact, look at this verse. This is from Psalm 100 again. It says this, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. It's talking about worshiping God. Shout for joy. Worship the Lord with what? Gladness. Come before him with what kind of songs? Joyful songs. Now, how many of you would like to be more joyful? Anybody? Okay, some of us are more joy-impaired than others, but I think all of us would like to be more joyful. So how can you become a more joyful person? And I'll tell you the quickest way to change your perspective and the condition of your heart is to say two words. What are those two words, church? Thank you. Thank you. I I was driving to church on Thursday night And it had been a long day. I was really tired. 
and I was feeling discouraged. And I remember in the car, I just started to thank God for everything I could think of, one after another. And by the time I got here, guess what? Everything was different because I was reminded of what a great God we have and how good he has been to me and to us. And church, I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, let me ask the band to come back up to the stage to get ready for our final song. I want to encourage you to do this. Um, On your outline, there is a place for you to actually write down something you're thankful for today. Do you see that? Today I want to thank God for. And listen, I don't want you to be generic. I want you to be specific. We talked about you know, thanking God for his goodness, for his faithfulness, that his love endures forever. We talked about, you know, thanking God for the people in your life. But don't write down, God, thank you for my family. Think of a person's name, a specific person that you're thankful for. Or when it comes to thanking God for his goodness, can you think of a way that maybe God answered a prayer, something he did that was very specific? I want you to take just a few moments. And the band's going to start playing the, the intro for our last song. And as the music begins to play now, I want you to just think of something that you can thank God for. In fact, you could even say, God, what do you want me to say thank you for this morning? So take just a moment and do that now. Church, maybe today you're facing a really hard test, a test of your faith. And maybe this morning there's a storm you're going through and you're honestly wondering what you can be thankful for. Let me suggest that you be thankful for this. Be thankful that God understands exactly what you're going through. Be thankful that a day is coming when Jesus will return and make all things new. And until that day arrives, God has made us a promise that he will always be with us, that he will never, ever leave us, no matter what happens.